It can't be taught. It must be caught. So catch it on Cadre. Three, two, one. We're live. We we got Kelly Brown today, and 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 Kelly, I'm I'm going to coin you as the the super crime gal. Okay. Yeah, because because I read I read a blurb today, and it just it just hit me. It hit me that at six years of age, you became enthralled with the Adam Walsh story. It did. And you started started developing this this I don't know uh, like maybe obsession maybe. Whatever you want to call it, for, I might call it a fascination. Fascination, yeah, for crime, yeah, and and solving crime and mysteries. And now you are the CEO of the company. Is it is it is it called True Crime? No, uh, the uh, company is called uh, True Crime Technologies, okay. and we're developing an app right now that's a technology platform for the true crime community. That's and we we heard a little bit about this before. Why don't we give us give us the full fledged topic? Of what this app is going to do? Uh, well, the the app is ACCIS, which okay. we pronounce as Access, and that means we're going to aggregate true crime content, yes, curate it for each individual user, connect them so that they can investigate and solve crimes together. Yeah, we 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 talked to Samir on this, and it's fascinating because I didn't know you guys were totally connected until a little bit ago. <laughs> so this is very very interesting, and so so. Going back to six years of age, what? Re, tell me that story. Recreate that story for me. Um, well, my mom was always a you know news in the morning, news at night. It yes. was you know that was kind of like what our household was. Is yes. uh, the newscasts? You know, the people on the newscasts were like extended family members. Yes. Um, so I was always aware of. Uh, current events and things that were going on, especially locally. But uh, the Adam Walsh case, um, Adam and I were the same age when he went missing and was later found murdered. And uh, so my grandma, whenever we would go out, if we, you know, kind of strayed away. And also in the 80s, it was there was so many uh, kidnappings and kids that went missing and a lot of like stranger kidnappings, which is not uh, which is more rare than then people really like know. They always think when they think kidnapping, they think it's a stranger grabbing you off the street. And in the 80s, there that was uh, more prevalent than it is today. Uh, so my grandma would always say like, you know, oh, stay close to me, you're gonna end up like Adam, wow. which uh, is not like, scaring, you know. Scaring, scaring a six-year-old. Yeah, yeah, scaring a six-year-old, which, yes. uh, you know, sent me into uh, a few existential crises at a, at a too at early, young of an age. Early age, yes. Oh yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just really became fascinated because it was that, you know, that thought, think of being in first grade and, you know, going to school when they after they found that he was murdered. And I remember just like sitting in class and looking at all the boys in my class and thinking like that could have been one of them. Or what about like I started thinking about oh. uh, Adam's friends yes, that would go to school and like and their parents. And then to me um, and I'm just kind of having this realization right now is what's fascinating is that at six years old, I started thinking of the ripple effect of... You were thinking that at, at, at six years of age. I'm just realizing that now. That oh, so I was you're coming to that. that. Yeah, I'm just kind of coming to that conclusion. Pretty advanced. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, because I do remember like sitting and thinking, wow, his friends are going to come to school and he's not going to be there. And then his parents are going to have to talk to him or talk to them about death and I had never experienced death like a, a family until, member or uh, anything yeah. and so it's just something that kind of like I think kicked off my curiosity and then growing up in LA um, we had a, a house at one point my dad had a house in the Hollywood Hills that was right down the street from where the Wonderland murders took place and I remember my sister and I just used to run around the hills and, you know, like pretend just we were I don't hang know, out, we were. play. But yeah, it was like it was normal. never. Yeah. You would never let kids do that today. But um, I remember my mom was coming to pick us up and my dad was like, oh, yeah, they're off, you know, and she's like, what the hell? And so she goes driving when she finally finds us. We're just, you know, kicking along 
And she's like, get in the car. Don't you know that like the man, there were Manson murders up here. And so it was like, there was a lot of wow. like talk about crime. I also, you know, uh, in high school. Do, uh, do, do you remember the feeling you had when your, your mom and, and, and people were talking? Oh, it, there, it was fear for sure. I started having yeah. panic attacks when I was the first panic attack. I remember I was seven years old. Is this part of therapy then? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that hence all this discussion. Yeah. Adam my, Walsh, you know, discussion of high profile murders. Started biting my nails. Oh yeah. So okay. it was like all of that. And my sister was having, uh, anger issues. And she's like eight years old at this point. And, uh, and so we were in family therapy and, oh. um, and individual therapy. So I've been in therapy for 40 years. So did you learn a lot at six years of age? Did, um, did, did it, did it? I think I probably learned too much. Uh, now when I, uh, start with a new therapist, the first thing that I do is I, uh, I kind of do this disclaimer okay. and say, okay, so I, um, I've been in therapy since I was six. Okay. I will dominate all of these conversations. I am very self-aware. I do a lot of work on myself. I hold myself accountable. I want nothing but to improve and grow and all of these, but I also do a lot of research, but I am not a doctor. I am literally paying you so that I don't talk over you, so that you can help me come to a different conclusion. So if I'm talking to you, that means I haven't come to certain conclusions. So oh. don't think that I know what I'm talking about, even if I say I do, have you, you know what I mean? Have you had great revelation in some of these discussions? Um, in the past, in the past six months, I would say I'd had the most. Really? The uh, biggest... Out of 40 years, mm -hmm. you're telling me 40 years of therapy mm -hmm. and this is really gelling in the last six months. Yeah. Wow. And it's because I changed their uh, therapies. I started exploring more about how my brain works rather than how to mute the uh, effects of what I'm feeling. So with okay, like medication can, 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 or SSRIs. Yeah, yeah, restate or, that. What I'm, what I'm hearing is you're, you're learning that the how-to parts of the brain mm -hmm. versus kind of manipulating scenarios, trying to change those scenarios that already happened. Exactly. Because that's wasting time, energy, and maybe money. And yeah, and not even changing that, but also just um, coming to a lot of realization. The biggest one, the biggest revelation that I've had was... So there's two things. The first okay. time that I uh, ever had a panic attack, I remember it very vividly. It's the first thing that I discuss in therapy, again, with like any new therapist. Sure. Um, the first panic attack I ever had, I was seven. I was in a grocery store with my great grandma. who yes. was not this like very profound, you know, she was kind of like an old Hollywood drunk. Um, in the best, I say that with like all the admiration. She was one of my favorite people. Um, but... Uh, I found a, a book of matches and as a kid does, they like play with it and the whole book caught on fire and burnt my fingertips. And she saw it. And before the pain even hit my fingertips, she grabbed my hand and she said, mind over matter. Does it hurt or does it tickle? What's the difference? Does it hurt? What does tickle and hurt feel like? But how? And I was, was sitting was, there at seven years old. She was, trying she, she was to, engaging you. She was trying to help me by like, not freaking out and being like, oh my God, like just the shock of it all. And so in that moment, like talk about an existential crisis is in that moment, all of a sudden the universe became too big and like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, and I just had a complete panic attack. And what I realized just in the past, like two months actually from that was in that moment, I made I started deciding what I felt like. So in that moment, I put the same value on love and hate, on success and failure, on pain and pleasure. Oh. And I decided which was which. In that moment, that's, I... You're seven years old. I'm seven years Tremendous old. Tremendous self-awareness now. But that's where my brain switched and went, okay, this protects you. That's what I... Because your brain is still like forming and you're sure. learning. And that's what, and I just had this revelation like two months ago. 
So going back, all right, this this is interesting. <laughs> so, so you're seven years of age. You had no idea what you were getting when I walked no, into no, this No, no, no. <laughs> this is kind of wild because because you you're now going into the how the brain really operates and why mm -hmm. versus dealing with the the crisis at the time and trying to kind of mask whatever it was yeah. at the time. And um and I've also realized that with like antidepressants and I am pro anything that helps you. Like oh, yeah, I am yeah, not yeah. like anti um anything. Sure. Like just whatever helps you. Just whatever as works. long as you're not yeah, as long as you're not hurting yourself or other people. And um and the way I understand SSRIs now uh or antidepressants, any anxieties are um they really kind of put a dome around your feelings. And so since I've been off of my antidepressants, um, it's been interesting to kind of feel things and not, and now knowing that I don't have to make a decision about them. Yes. Not deciding how I feel about things. So when something bothers me, it bothers me. It is what it is. It is what it is. You're in the moment. You feel what you feel. Yeah. You let it register. And, I and your can, awareness takes over. And I, and I found myself getting less angry. Cool. Because it's like I'm not, I'm not beating myself up for the way that I feel. I'm not uh, getting, you know, everybody has their own thing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's kind of brought me like a, a great deal of peace. Wow, peace, yeah, peace of mind. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned two things. One was was what a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Seven. What was the second major? The second one was, I was never broken. Cool. So there was no reason. That's your revelation. That was the revelation. The last six months. Yeah. Okay. I was never broken. So when I went into therapy when I was, uh, six years old, seven years old, I went in there and they were fixed they went to fix me like i had to be fixed so i i've spent 40 years thinking you had to be fixed i had to be fixed but nothing was ever wrong with me you were experiencing feelings i did have you're normal to experience those and feelings. i also i was diagnosed with adhd um they recommended medication for me my parents didn't put me on medication but i also wasn't told that i was diagnosed that young until I was well into my thirties. Okay. And so I spent my whole life thinking I was lazy, that oh. I was stupid, but I knew I wasn't stupid because I didn't like doing homework, but I <laughs> would go in and ace the test. I, if I was interested in something, I learned everything about it. But if I wasn't interested in something, I couldn't focus on it. So yeah, I that's spent- no, That's normal. Right, but society isn't set up for that. No. So it's like society is is set up for neurotypical people. So when people are neurodivergent, it's like, oh, well, you're different. And it's really not because there's a lot more people who have some sort of neurodivergence than there are people who are actually neurotypical. neurotypical. They just vary. And yes. that's how they're now starting to understand ADHD as a spectrum. It's not even attention deficit hyperactive disorder they don't even consider it a disorder anymore and so it's been like ever evolving and now they see it as more as of a spectrum is in the same way that uh they see autism all right so 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 now what what's the next step uh, these um, big revelations six months last six months well now i get to live instead of exist which is like a whole new thing wow you know so wow. it's so like emancipation it's more fun yeah. yeah i'm just having more fun and i'm just i um you know with the with access i mean i my background's in television i'm a tv exec and have been for a couple decades and have worked and i'm a writer and um and have worked really hard to, you know, create my career. And uh, and so then when this kind of came up, it was a totally brand new thing. But it was like, oh, wait. It's in your wheelhouse. It's not even just in my wheelhouse, yes. but I need this. It's even better. You know what I mean? It was like, it was I, like designed I, for you. Yeah, yes. I need... I, I remember when I was... Uh, when. I first talked to Samir and, and Nick and Duncan, who were the original three who had an idea for a podcast network, sure. a true crime podcast network. And they, my dad uh, is friends with them. And so he was like, oh, you should talk to my daughter. She's produced podcasts. She also 
loves true crime. She might have some insight. So when they pitched it to me, I was like, okay, so you guys want to take a bucket of water and pour it in the ocean and then be like, look at my bucket of water. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's so much true crime content out yes, there. Yes. Um, that uh, we don't really need more of it. You don't need more content. We need somebody to aggregate it. Aggregate and then Samir was like, and resolve it. Wait, what does that look like? And I was like, um, now we have to go to another meeting because I think I just stumbled onto a really good idea. So it's we need to talk idea. partnerships wow. and it's a huge idea. Yeah. And so then, um, and Samir and I are both, well, Samir is like actually educated in technology. I'm just, I just love technology. And, um, and so then he and I start geeking out about AI and Duncan and Nick and I are geeking out about the, you know, true crime. I mean, it just like kind of, really organically happened and at the same time i was developing three true crime based shows and that really helped in in kind of developing the idea for this app because i was like well i could use this i could use that i could use this and we just built it all into the technology for this app because it was like now it's a resource for uh, you know, researchers on uh, that are creating true crime content, but it, it can also be a resource for fans of true crime or amateur sleuths. And it could also be uh, a resource for law enforcement. Yes. And, and the biggest thing um, that's the closest to my heart is creating a safe space for uh, victims and their families. And giving them and and what we built in were like these search functions and things that uh, or uh, these filters, really, that they can if they don't want to see the conspiracy theories or they don't, like. So there's certain things built in to really curate uh, the platform for victims and their families to be sensitive to what information that they see. So they're not just going on Google and seeing, you know, Beth in Oklahoma talking about some weird conspiracy that this woman's son really killed himself and wasn't murdered or, you know, like sure. things that are really insensitive that they don't need to see those conversations. Right, so you're going to be the CEO of this company. Yeah. Wow. And in, in what characteristics does the CEO have to have in order to run this company? Um, really happy you asked that. Yeah. Mostly because when we first discussed it, I laughed and I said, I don't even know what a CEO does. Yes. And uh, Samir said, don't worry, none of them do. <laughs> so, um, but no, in, um, uh, in truth, I, I see the CEO and because the way my brain works, I, I have to identify it to something that I already know. And for me, that's a showrunner sure. for television. So it's like, okay, this is your vision, but there's a team that is going to help Produce make it. it yes. Yeah, that's going to help bring it to fruition yes. and um and if you're you know it, it i don't see myself as necessarily the leader of that team but um what i am excited about is to be a part of that team and um and i think my my television company is called real village because i i believe it takes a village to to do absolutely everything and uh and so ceo it it is more of just right now it's just a title. Um, I feel a lot of responsibility for it because I want to, yeah, I want to, I just want to make sure that the, um, you know, the culture that we're creating is, uh, welcoming and, you know, and inclusive little and kumbaya, sure, if you will, sure. but just, yeah, I want everybody to love what they're doing and be passionate about it. And I don't want anyone ever to wake up and be like, oh, I'd rather be doing something else. Yeah, you know, cause you won't get, so you just, won't get engagement. That. So that's what I would think for me is the most important role is, uh, is making everyone feel heard, welcomed and appreciated. Perfect. All right. So, so how many years in television production? 20, hmm, 25. What was your, what was your favorite gig? Ooh. Um, the ESPYs. The ESPYs. Yeah, I worked yeah. on the ESPYs. The ESPYs are like the Oscars for sports for those yeah, who, yeah, yeah. who don't know. Um, the ESPYs, 
you know, a lot of people just look at it as an award show or ESPN patting itself on the back or, you know, whatever. It is the most special uh, show I've ever been a part of. And uh, Maura Mant, who was a very good friend of mine and uh, and was the executive producer of the ESPYs for years. I worked for her company, Maggie Vision. And um, being a part of that show, I think, will never not be my favorite. I mean, that will oh, so, always be. So, so what, what touched your heart about the ESPYs? Um, it was really learning that you can tell any... Uh, there's one. There's a couple things. Just as a storyteller, um, you can talk about anything, and if you put it in... And this is something that Maura taught me. If you put it in the... Uh, if you put it in the world of sports, more people will listen. Yes, there's and it's there's more, heroes and it's and more hero, relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, we got to be a part of, you know, telling stories of uh, a young kid who uh, was gunned down unnecessarily and speak on on gun violence. And, and a lot of this is through the um, the awards that they give out, the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage, uh, the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance and uh and the Tillman Award Award for service. And uh and so a lot of like it's just there's so many So the important, touching the touching stories. Yeah, and it was really doing a lot of important work. And they still are. I mean they uh yeah I, I that love, was just, I, I love it as well. Yeah it's and, and they tell these great stories and there's 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 heroic people and there's there's wannabe heroes and there's inspiration mm -hmm. and there's overcoming fantastic and that's all Mora that was all Mora unfortunately passed away uh two years ago suddenly yeah and uh and it's still like everybody that she worked with is still coming together and like working with each they all just did NFL honors together okay. and like so it just really kind of created this amazing family and uh and I really saw all of that. Like everybody's been working on the SBs have been, most of them have been on it for as long as they've been on the air. Wow. Yeah. Uh, how about the worst gig? What's your worst gig? Ooh. Uh, well, years. I took my name off that one. Oh, you did? Huh? Yeah. I worked in casting on a show that I won't name, but uh, I, uh, anyway, it was like the Real Housewives, uh, but with, uh gay men okay and the way the producers pitched it to us as casting directors is that they wanted to do like power couples in the gay community sure and uh and my boss at the time was also was gay and so he was like i want to be a part of this is a big deal for my community i'm like fuck yeah let's do oh sorry i don't know if i could cuss no, or no, not. No. f yeah let's do it and um and then when it went to air, it was salacious. And um, I really cared about the people. One of the things I working in unscripted, uh, I never wanted to ruin somebody's life by putting them on television. And so I, I really kind of stayed away from working on anything salacious or, uh, you know, mean. And... Uh, so that was, I felt duped and I ended up taking my name off of it. All right. So what, what did you learn from that going forward? Uh, to get a little bit more creative control. So I got out of casting and went into development. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a smart move. To, to, and to work with people whose uh, first priority was integrity. And so uh, since then, never... There wasn't anything that I wasn't proud to say that I worked on. And uh, soon after that, I worked, I started working for Mora. And then just recently, I worked for a producer by the name of Jim Rausch, who is like a beast in the unscripted world. And he is the most genuinely good person you will ever meet. Cool. And you don't find that a lot, especially not in unscripted TV. And he's like, uh, He's he's just the king of greatness. He's such a good guy. Right, so now you're going into the app world, the tech world, mm -hmm. Samir, true crime. What are you going to miss? By by making that move, what you, what are you going to miss the most? I don't think I'm going to miss anything because right. I, I, I think that um, I think that the way that I live my life, I'll be able to create opportunities for myself to never leave any of it. 
So it's like if I'm, you know, let's see how how big the app gets. But if, you know, the bigger it gets, then that opens me up for more opportunities to, you know, work in television or but those are bridges I cross down the road. So I never completely say goodbye to anything unless it's hurting me. So do do you have mentors in the tech world? Uh, Yeah, I would say Samir has been my biggest mentor. And uh, recently my friend uh, Ryan Rotman, uh, who also has like a a experience in film and uh, he's a serial entrepreneur now and invests in hospitality. And he just recently went into uh, the tech space with uh, Aaron Rodgers and creating the uh, online sports database. And so, you know, having, uh, and Aaron's a friend as well. And so having friends that have just gone through this process, Ryan and I just had a conversation and I'm like, I am coming to you now to be like, what do I do? How? And he was like, learn from my mistakes. Just yeah, learn yeah, from yeah, my that's, mistakes. That's great. Friends in high places. Yeah. And he's willing to guide you. In the TV world, did you have mentors there as well? All these yeah, other guys? Yeah, uh, Maura was definitely a mentor. And yes. uh, Jim was absolutely a mentor. And every single person I ever worked with from uh, producers, directors, casting directors, PAs, ADs, every if, if you don't look around a set or you don't look around a production office and see every single person around you as a mentor, yes. you're doing it wrong. Interesting. So it's, you know, whenever you think that you know something, you're fiercely wrong. You will you will learn something from somebody that you least expected. Interesting. It's all, always true. I saw in the last six months, you had these major revelations. How's this going to play in in your role as a CEO going forward? How, how do you how do you apply that? Um, I think it opens me up to be more compassionate Good. and um and to recognize, uh, I definitely can get, I get, uh, something that I'm really working on is that I get frustrated with things, with traits that people have that trigger me. And so when, uh, one of the big things is when people don't take accountability, I just want to like, I like want to walk away. It is like, that is my Achilles heel. I'm like, oh my God, do you know how much you can learn if you just take accountability? And, and I know where the triggers come from and I know all of it. And so I think exploring this part of it and, and seeing how, um, it's not my responsibility to teach everybody a lesson. And I think that's a role I, an unnecessary burden I, I put on myself at a young age was, you know, fixing everything and, and fixing everybody and, you know, kind of being like a savior when I wasn't really necessarily fixing myself. So now I feel I have better tools. I've, you know, I'm not just going to build a house with a hammer. Now I feel like I have a good support system and, and better tools in my, so, in my so, box. So back when that was happening, did you feel that you were being misunderstood? Oh, con- who doesn't feel misunderstood? Uh, yeah. You know and what now, I mean? now you have the tools. Yeah. And you feel like you're on an even keel. Clear well, and I hope that I get more tools. Yeah, because oh, I, the I, the tools for ADHD have been <clears throat> game changing for me. Right, so, so um, what are those tools that you're using? Uh, the first one that I do that I have to do. So I have uh, something that uh, I, I'm not the only person who refers to it as this, but uh, it's like instigation paralysis. So do, starting any task is like I will sit and think about it. And no, all I have to do is go into my email and open the email and see the thing. And then I do the whatever. Mm -hmm. But even doing, I have now, uh, I have like Alexa reminds me, make your bed, take a shower, brush your teeth, da, da, da. Because if I don't, I'll I'll like forget that I didn't do it or. So these are your life hacks. Yeah. And using tech to help you. And also uh, there's an old thing called the five minute rule, which I just shared with Nick actually, um, that uh, I can do anything for five minutes. So I say, okay, you have permission to only spend five minutes on this. Like I give myself permission you can only spend five minutes on this. If you're still not into it, move on to something else. Cool. And nine times out of 10, I get hyper-focused on it in those five, five minutes. Five minutes, you stick with it. And I stick with it. 
And so the hyper-focus thing can also be a problem as much as people like to refer to that or refer to hyper-focus with ADHD as like the superpower. Um, I'll hyper-focus on something and not stop working. So uh -huh. I have to make myself stop. I have to give myself work hours. So then you have a life hack to remind Alexa, remind you, you got to stop yep. working by I, literally my lights, midnight. Literally my lights change in my house. Oh, cool. Where my, right, so my see, lights yeah, go this, down to like uh, what getting... I call TV time. So if I ever want to like just turn my brain off or just veg out, I just say Alexa TV time. And then all the lights in my house dim down to like a cool, you know, cool. more like relaxing vibe. And so I'll be sitting there at my computer and then all of a sudden I'll see my lights will change in my house. That means like, it's kind of like the theater thing of like time to go into the theater. The show's going to start. Ah, it's, it's very cool. That's a life hack. Do you, have, yeah. do, you have, do you have, do you have certain productivity tools that you use to make you better? Um, keep you more engaged, whatever. It, it depends on what I need to be engaged with. All right. so, um, so, so with business and, and time I have to management. doodle when I'm in meetings. So okay. I, I uh, have my iPad and, um, and so sometimes when I have to like watch something or I'm listening to something or whatever, uh, I'll absorb it more if I'm like drawing. So I'll download things and just trace them because I don't know how to draw. So I'll just like trace them like these intricate like mandalas or something like that because it makes me focus on that and I'm receiving the information so it's better. Like a, it's like a meditative state in ways. Completely. So, so you're, you're, you're tapping an ether beyond and the genius is coming through by simply doing that. that I drawing. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it genius. I would just call it normality. Well, I, like, yeah. you know what? Let's call it normality because a lot of people think it's genius. They think it's supernatural. They think it's a lot of stuff. And really it's a natural state. If you're yeah. doing it on a regular basis, it's, it's natural to you. Well, it's funny because the first time I was medicated for uh, ADHD, um, I was given Adderall and I was 35, probably like the first time I was ever medicated for ADHD. And I was so terrified to take it because I'm like, it's an amphetamine. It's addictive. It's like, so I have all of these hangups about addiction already. Um, I also have panic attacks. So if it races my heart, then it's going to like, I was so terrified to take it. And my doctor at the time was like, honestly, we don't know what it's going to do until you take it. So I'll give you the lowest dose, take it over the weekend so that, you know, here's some Ativan. If you have a panic attack, here's like whatever, like I was all set up of like safe and I took it and I fell asleep for 12 hours Ooh. because it was the <laughs> first time my brain was ever focused <laughs> that it just relaxed and I passed out and I slept for 12 hours. And so it's like, if you think about if that's what the medication can do, then you start to think about, well, naturally, well, that makes sense because when I'm sitting and drawing, I'm focusing my brain on something. And so then it's relaxed enough to get to that this state, other information. Other information. Yeah. And you can even get to other brain waves. You can get to delta brainwave, whatever. Yeah. Theta brainwave, creativity. That's yeah, very interesting. Now, you mentioned six, you were six and seven. Adam Walsh, Crime Story Technologies. Um, what was your happiest memory around those times? Do you, do you have anything that was oh my God, really so just many. beautiful that hit you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so many. I, you know, it's interesting because... Were you a happy kid then? Yeah. Right, I was so. never... Yeah, it was, I was... Um, I, I almost... It's weird that I feel like apologetic um, even saying that because I know my sister didn't wasn't happy and that's because we have different brains we didn't have different parents we didn't have different upbringings no different i brains. would say and now in retrospect i always wanted a younger sibling and my dad met my stepmom when i was seven okay. and she had uh who i call my brother he's my stepbrother he's her her son but instantly when i met him i was like i have a little brother like i was oh, cool. like so and so i would say around that time that was probably like the happiest. Now that relationship also came with like a lot of struggles and with, you know, us just any kids, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. with like blending families and things like no that. Normal behaviors. Yeah. But, uh, but that I can say was like, that was the thrilling part 
I, I just remember how thrilled I was. And he was like into Transformers and He-Man and computers and Star Wars. And so was I. And and so it was like he and I really clicked instantly. Cool. Yeah. Are, are you a mentor? Do you mentor other people, young young women, young men? Anybody? I... I love to, yeah. Um, but I feel like you don't choose your mentees; they choose you. Well, that's true too. And have um, people come to choose you? Yeah, there's. That's, uh, yeah, that's where I'm going. I had yeah, yeah I had an assistant um, named Allison, who uh, if I, I find I kind of understood why um, I sometimes had bosses that would sabotage my. Uh, my moving up to different departments sometimes yes. because I was like, Oh my God, when you find a good assistant, you never want to like, Let you know go. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And she was, I, she wasn't working for us for two weeks when I had like these kinds of lights and stuff kind of trigger that, uh, first panic attack thing. And, um, and so in my office at the time had these lights that were on like a motion sensor. And so sometimes they would just go on, but I had, I always had like the halogen lights off and I had mood lighting in my office and never said anything to her about it. And all of a sudden I saw she'd walk by my office and if the lights were on and I'm hyper-focused on something, she'd just pop her hand in and shut off the light. And I never said anything to her about it. And finally she did it one time and I was like, can you come here for a second? Why are you doing that? And she was like, oh, well, I just noticed that you never have them on. And when they do come on, you'll you'll get up and turn them, off. turn them off. So I figured you don't want them on. And I was like, I love you and how observant you are. And yeah. you're she was incredible. taking care of you. And she left me. No, um, <laughs> she uh, was only there for about a year because she actually got inspired by a story that that we were developing. And um, and she decided to go back to grad school and become a social worker and get her education degree. And she wanted to work with uh, prisoners within the system. Wow. And I was so proud of her. I was like, cause we were her first job out of college. And we're also talking about a, a young girl who, um, whose parents have a great deal of money who did not need to work. Sure. She did not need to work at so all. So she, she wanted to help. She and... lived, but her, this is also a testament to her parents. Um, she lived in a, apartment in Silver Lake with a roommate and, you know, lived paycheck to paycheck. And because she was like, nope, I'm doing this and da da da. And yep. Still keep in touch with her to this day. She's like a, a little sister to me. And, um, I now call her with stuff and say, Hey, I just, you know, whatever. So it's, that's what I'm saying is that I don't, I feel like she was just as much of a mentor to me is and she would refer to me as her mentor. mentor. And so, but I feel like she was just as much a mentor to me as uh, as I might have been to her. Uh, so so did you do you have family? Do you have children? I don't know. Okay. So so you're engaged in work. You got the new deal coming. Out of all the things you've seen and done right now, what is most important? What's the top priority for you? Um in my life? Yep. Yeah, personal, um, business, whatever. What is the the top priority? You're getting revelation the last six months. Yeah, I would say just you know family and friends. My sister has uh has two daughters and has a stepson who I'm very very close to. I'm I, I guess other people think abnormally close to my I like co-parent with my sister on uh, on some things. Um, my brother's about to have a baby. And so, um, because I chose not to have kids, I still kind of have kids and, uh, and I love it that way because I don't have to have it full time and I didn't have to get pregnant. And, um, and so, you know, I would say their futures and, um, whatever I can do to kind of make their futures better. Sure. Whether that's, you know, yeah. however, whatever that looks like, that that I would say is the most important. And just, yeah, just enjoying my friends and family. I have a really good group of people around me. I, like, I believe you. You've been here a long time. You mentioned fourth generation yeah. family. Um, with that, all your what's what's the greatest compliment you ever received? Mm. 
That's my favorite question. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad I hit it. Shout out to Julie Pleck. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Julie Pleck, that I will, she's another mentor. Um, she is a showrunner. She's actually like quite a mogul right now. And um, when I, I was living in New York for 10 years and I was moving back here and Julie created a show called Vampire Diaries. And then sure. there was a spinoff, the originals and legacies. And sure. now she has like others a, a, like projects. She's, yeah, yes. she's like huge. Mo I'm so proud of her. And we've had a lot of mutual friends in common, but um, uh, when I was moving back to LA, I wanted to get back into scripted and she allowed me to, uh, to shadow her for three weeks, which is like three days is tops. tops. Okay. She was like, yeah, come, uh, come finish out. We're, you know, it's the end of vampire diaries. So come watch the last two episodes of that. Get like how we're ending a seven season run run yep. in the way that we want, which is unheard. So it was on like, all terms, of this, yeah, yes. like great access and just really wonderful. And from that, I moved back out here. She asked me to be a part of a writer's room for a show that she was developing, which I was like, oh, my God. It's like, I thought that was the biggest compliment was that Julie Plack wanted my opinion on something. Yes. And then from that, she said, uh, I will pay you in a favor. You get whatever you want with me. And I was like, I want 30 minutes of your time to sit down and go over all the things that I'm like trying to do. And you help me figure out like to a get back into scripted. Okay. Yeah. So the compliment, I needed to give that context just to show you like how much I admire this woman. So she told me that um, we're going over all this stuff. And she said, you know, I want you to know what your biggest commodity is. You personally, when somebody says, Oh, do you know Kelly Brown? Um, they don't say, Oh yeah, I know Kelly Brown. They say, Oh my God, I love Kelly Brown. Awesome. She was like, your biggest commodity, the thing that your like your value in this industry is that people really genuinely like you. Is that like you're, you know, and it's not like uh, oh, they're awesome, whatever, da da da. da. Did, did you know that? Um, well, I knew I wasn't, you know, unliked no. necessarily. But, but did you did you know how great I you were? I didn't know it was a value. That's that's very interesting. And so it was being told that that was a value. Yes. Was uh, and then and now I'll tell it to and that's why I said it's my favorite question. It's a great. Now I'm yeah. like, guess what? Guess what Julie Plex said about me? People like me. Well, let me you know. I, it's also, she's like the most likable person on the planet. Okay. And so that's why coming from her, it was like I'll hold I'll I'll hold that forever in my heart. That's awesome. No, no, no. You you hear stories about Hollywood and L.A. and all this. Has anybody disrespected you? Oh my God! All right, okay. How so much time I, do you have? I, I, I wanted to ask that question. Did you remember one big situation that you, where you're disrespected, and how did you deal with it? You guys ready to laugh? I want. I want to. Yes. Okay. How PG is this? Okay, PG. Is it PG? PG? No, 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 no. PG thirteen? No, no. This we're good. We're, we're we can we can uh, laugh okay. and raw. Because this is a little bit of like a Me Too moment. So there was a manager. Um, early on in my career, there was a manager who uh, showed up who was with this big management company. And this is my first meeting with like a manager. He set the meeting. We're meeting at a restaurant, whatever. He's literally an hour and 15 minutes late. And I'm sitting there with my producing partner at the time. And she's like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, this is so disrespectful. Like I was over it. I was ready to leave. And he comes and he sits down. He's like, all right. So I looked over everything. He was like, uh, you want to know what your biggest asset is? So this is literally the opposite of the Julie Pleck thing. Yes. He goes, you want to know what your biggest asset is? And I said, what? He goes, you got great uh -oh, male uh -oh, genitalia uh -oh, uh -oh. sucking lips. Oh. That's what he told me my greatest oh. asset Attributes, was. yes. But here's where you get to laugh. Without skipping a beat, this is my story of my best comeback ever. I said, oh, my God. That's what my dad always tells me. Oh. Oh. And my friend. Bada bing, bada yeah, boom. And my oh. friend kicked me under the table because she was like, don't screw this up. And I'm like, screw this. Whatever. Weird. No, this is not happening. Yeah, and yeah. I just, I wanted him to feel as uncomfortable as is I you, felt. I still, yes, yes. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just. Well, how, did he, how did he react to that? Oh, he 
didn't. He, he didn't. just no. He just he was. That's a, that's a great comeback. Yeah, it's my best. That's, I'm telling you, I, that that's was a like quick, that's the a heavens quick, opened up, and way. they were like, "Here yeah. you go, Kelly. You can have this, and this will now be uh, your Me Too story for well, one of them for the rest of all eternity." That's that. That's yeah. a spectacular stop them in the tracks reaction from you and that's kind of like the you know but i've been micro disrespected um by mostly by bosses who um you know i've uh, came up with a show idea in the room at a network and literally just kind of pitched it because they were like well we're looking for something like this and i was like oh what about this that and the other and they're like that's great tell me more and they bought it in the room and on the like the more I developed it, I then wanted a co-EP credit on it because I created it and sold it in the room to this big network. And my boss uh, took me off the show entirely. Wow. And so it was like a little kind of micro. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. like. Yeah, not, that's not good. No. No, and, no. Um, and it's so, not fair. But, you know, life isn't fair, as they well, say. Well, no, 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 it is. So that leads me to this question here. Without the title of CEO, you're going to a new company, you're CEO, you've been in production for many years, you're a sister, you're a friend. Without all the titles, who are you? Who are you? Without all that, who are you? Going back past six years old, let's say, who are you? I... I mean, I think I'm a little bit of you. I'm a little bit of you. I'm a little bit of him. I'm a little yeah. bit of, you know, I feel like we're all kind of, you know, sponges. And yeah. I'm a little bit of all of my experiences. I don't think that I would feel comfortable, like, even putting a label on it. Cool. Um, I think that we're, you know, or the way that I feel now mm-hmm. is more a... Uh, you mentioned freedom before. Yeah, yes. it's Emancipation. More, yeah, but I also feel very connected. So I I feel like, um, who am I? I mean, I'm I'm Kelly Brown and I'm whatever that means to you. You know, the only thing that I can control in life or that any of us can control in life are our own thoughts and our own actions. And so I don't like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that sounds like kind of woo woo or whatever, no, but no, I just don't no, feel. No. I get it. I, I don't feel it. like I'm any one thing. No, that's, that's you're, you're. You're an amalgamation of all your past experiences yeah. that bring you here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the future ones. Well, I'm curious. You've been in the business and all the, if there, What show needs to be made that hasn't been made? If you can make any show, other than the true wow. crime technologies right now, okay? I, I that I, I want, I want, I want your that opinion. I haven't got out with yet, so I, ha- I can't tell you about that one. Um, there is a show called The Bullpen that I'm developing with a tremendous writer- uh, named David Vienna. Um, we're working with uh, my producing partners on it are uh, uh, two other tremendous talents, um, David O'Donnell and Tyler Parkinson. We uh, just attached this actor, Mark O'Brien, who cool. is insanely talented. And this is the next project that we want to do. And it's about the kind of the beginning of the end of print news and every network is kind of looking at it as like a period piece because it takes place in the 80s in D.C. And it's so relevant. And so when you say, like, what's the show that hasn't been made that needs to be made? To it. me, this is it. Because it's a history lesson wrapped up in, you know, the gritty anti-hero storylines that audiences love. Sure. But you're also getting to look at how journalism has become under attack and how truth has become under under attack attack. and how all of that changed the minute CNN launched in 1980. And and so it's kind of, it's this really cool, like education through entertainment where where audiences won't even know that they're being educated. So that's the show. And that's, and that's, that's the one that's coming up. That's the one you're, That's you're when writing. That's we're pitching so you, right now. So you're pitching, you, you pitch a lot of deals then. Oh yeah. Pitching's a big part of everything you do. Yeah. Everything that I do. So you, you, you know, the framework, mm-hmm. how to write a treatment, all this, get yeah. it out there and get it done. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, there's formats for everything and there's the way that certain networks like to hear things and, and things like that. But, uh, I, 
was always a one man band. And so I kind of taught myself everything anyway. And so the yeah, way, yeah. yeah, the way that I do things, um, like my decks, for example, which are, you know, just basically like, here's the format and unscripted. It's basically like format tone. And here you go. Here's a sample episode. It's very like kind of formulaed, but I would design the heck out of them and just like really, cause I'm a visual person. So I want and so then uh, we weren't, we couldn't outsource decks anymore because my boss was like, oh, oh I really like your, the way so, you do so it. So you had to bring it all. So then I, ha yeah. So then it was like, I created work for myself. But, um, so I don't think that there's, I always tell my nieces just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. Yes. So if you want to do something one way and it still gets you to where you need to go, do it that way. So you know you're, what I mean? you're, you're cool with that. Whatever works. That goes mm -hmm. back to what you're saying before for, for helping people. You're saying the same thing in, in the industry. Oh, yeah. Whatever works, you're saying don't hold back, even though it's so formulaic in so many ways. Yeah. You're, you're telling your young ones that yeah, if, you have, if, you bring, them, if you bring an idea, bring it forward. Yeah. And I don't I, like my, in listen, their, their dad and their mom have, you know, I'm like, what they say goes. But as far as I'm concerned, um, as long as you're doing your homework and you're doing the work and you're turning stuff in, I do not care what grades you get. I don't care if you're get A's, B's, C's, or D's because they mean absolutely nothing in the real world. What what does mean something in the real world is if you're true to your word and you're getting stuff done. Yes. And so if you just do that. That's a good lesson. Like, yeah. And I also, you know, don't, I never went to college. And so I'm like, I don't care if you go to college. Take a, please take a gap year and travel. Please see other cultures. They live in Texas. I'm like, just they please. They live in Texas, yes. Yeah, I'm like, please travel. See the country. You know, like if you, you go to New Orleans and see how that part of the Mardi South Gras, lives. Whatever, yeah. Whatever. Right, so have you written a book or anything like that? I don't have the focus for a book. Oh. Have you heard how many different places this interview has gone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't even know. I just optioned a book. <laughs> you just optioned a book. Yeah. From somebody who who could sit and have the patience, I wouldn't know what to write about. Well, you can write about the industry and all your experience. Uh, there? No, there's much smarter, more experienced people than me. Well, that... yeah, but you 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 have that you have that gift in you. Um, hmm. Thank you. You know you do. Um, you know a lot of stuff. I really feel like. Um, oh, and also, I'll just keep talking forever. So you tell me when you want me to shut up. No, no, because I will this, not. No, this, I will not stop talking. No, this is good. Um, but uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I don't think that it's something that I want to do. No, it's not. It's not. It's not for you right now. I don't feel drawn to it at no. all. Yeah, because you're a writer. You have and you're creative. Yeah, I'm just wondering. And I'm visual. And, and so I hate reading books. Okay. As a writer, I know I'm not supposed to say that, <laughs> but. Um, I'm fine reading scripts, but I don't have the attention span for, for books, really. It's like, uh, I used to when I was younger and then, you know, it took me a while to even to get into podcasts, to listen to podcasts. And now I don't even listen to music in my car. I listen so you, to murder podcasts. You know, yeah, I was, I was telling Luke, I was, uh, I was into this one crime, crime podcast. And it's very, very interesting. Which one? I, it, was, it was called the crime podcast. Oh, and, really? Yeah. And so I look at, I look at all of them now. Oh yeah. See, 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 I can turn you on to some. I, I, I want, what are your There's a, there is one that I'm listening what to right now three? that is fascinating. What are your top three? Um, top three, uh, definitely my favorite murder, uh, which is Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark, uh, Samir and, uh, Nick and Duncan, they always, uh, who are the co-founders for Access, they always laugh at me because somebody will be like, oh, who are like the A-list people in the true crime world? And I'm like, well, there's another one uh, called Murder Squad Murder that Squad. Um, is with Billy Jensen and Paul Holes. Paul Holes was uh, one of the detectives on the Golden State Killer case. Okay. And Billy Jensen helped finish uh, Michelle McNamara's book about the... See, I know way too many. And ask me any name about anybody else and anything else, and I couldn't tell you. Um, and uh, so... Murder Squad is fantastic because they discuss uh, cold cases and Billy Jensen's a investigative reporter. Paul Holes is a ex-detective and they uh, discuss cold cases and reach out to their audience and say, so this is what the evidence is so far. If Can you, you were in, yeah, if you were in Indiana from 1978 or know someone or da da da, and they might have any information, all this stuff is on our website. And da -da. so they, they're trying to help solve 
some like cold cases and uh ooh, top three okay what would be the next the third one let me give you like a oh in the dark in the dark in the dark season one was fantastic but season two was a master class in investigative reporting really these women moved into the town it was about uh curtis flowers who was a man who was wrongfully convicted yes. but tried in his hometown uh six times he had his uh guilty verdict overturned six times uh seven i think by the end of it finally by um uh by the supreme court um but the amount of uh it it was kind of like a clear-cut case of racism corruption that you hear about in a lot of these like small town um wrongfully convicted cases sure uh but they uncovered something that it, you wouldn't have even thought of and they lived in this town for a year and uh and they basically like figured out who the killer was their evidence that they uncovered um helped uh helped Curtis get uh his sentence his sentence overturned by the Supreme Court. Is there is there a cold case that ruminates with you? Hmm. You know, we're going back to mental health, all this stuff. Is there anything that you, you're into crime and into crime, you're into yeah. crime stories. And is there a cold case that you've come across that just it's you're intrigued by? Yeah, there's a couple. And there's one that I actually just heard on uh, my favorite murder. Um, but uh, but on the way over here. But the I would say the biggest one would be, uh, I think it's D.B. Sweeney, the guy who like jumped out of the plane and nobody knows who he was. He like hijacked the plane until he got money and then jumped out midair and nobody ever heard from him since. That I think is just fascinating. Um, I I think that like I the problem is I don't have one. No, the Maura Murray, Maura Murray is a case. Uh, that's one that I keep going back to. Maura, that's one. Maura Murray? Yeah, Maura Murray, and there's a lot of podcasts. Um, and her family actually has just started taking to social media because they've been there's. There's a guy who wrote books about it who doesn't really get along with the family. And so it's like, that's kind of how he's who I found out about. His name's James Renner. I consider him to be a fantastic true crime writer. Um, but the family didn't gel with him. And so I want to, you know, respect them. So I'm like, well, why aren't they gelling with him? But they've actually started getting on social media. And, and so now we're hearing from her sister going, you know, Oh, when Moore was here, da, da da da, or when she caught, and so we're kind of getting like a different perspective on the case, sure. which I think is breathing new new life into it. Yes. But I also read a lot of cold cases, and uh, mostly for the you know the short the sheer like ego thing of I want to have the missing link that gets yes. it solved. Yes. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Like yes. I want to I want to be responsible for that. Of yes. like, um, but uh, so I read. A, a lot of cold cases, so, but the, I would say like those are like the biggest ones that. And, stand and will, out. Will, will some of these podcasts and these cold cases work their way into your idea of true crime technology? Absolutely. Yeah. And they, you know, the the people who who run, um, who are parts of that, I I want them to be uh, our first audience. I want them to be our first users. I want them to, you know, help inform how we. How you continue to you know build this technology and what are we missing what you know and especially with them because this is an industry you know true crime is um it's tricky because when you make money off of when people are like making money off of the worst thing that has happened to a family or a person or and not just on the victim side but often you know on the suspect side it's like their family sure doesn't you know there's um there's another great podcast uh called happy face that's the daughter of the happy face killer who talks to other suspects families sure about their trauma and all of that because you know then they're they're victims as well and um so 
kind of finding that that fine line between um you know being a victim advocate each on in our database uh every case will have one singular file mm-hmm. and so there'll be different files that can be linked to each other yes but um you're not going to have the Charles Manson file, you're going to have the Sharon Tate file. Okay. And the Sharon Tate file will be connected to his other victims as well. And his name will be a part of that as well. But, uh, you know, we're, we're creating the database to be focused on the victims because I think oftentimes in, in true crime, it is focused on the perpetrators. And, um, and that becomes, you know, look how many Ted Bundy, uh, it, you know, and he wasn't like that, notorious of a serial killer like if you want to get down to it you well, know there's another, there's another worse gentleman. monsters yeah out what, there. i saw this one gentleman he, he was close to a hundred murders um, oh yeah i mean there's uh i forget his name like there's even the golden state killer was yes. i mean the, the he wreaked havoc on a community for decades and um so it's you know we want to be uh focused on on victims but as well, um, you know, if they're, if we are a for-profit company. Sure. So one of the one of the things that we're designing, and and I don't know if Samir talked about this as part of our our patent pending technology, is um, we're going to be offering in the same way America's Most Wanted offered rewards for you know we're gonna That's... we're gonna create monetized incentives uh, for. For lead, lead generation? Uh, yeah, but also it'll be like, okay, so if let's say we start a reward off at 10 grand, we could also turn it into kind of like a GoFundMe thing where other users can do, you know, micro donations or donations or whatever to increase the value of the reward. Perfect. And so then the people working Perfect. on the on the site, our, our technology will you know, track what kind of information that they're sharing, how relevant it is, how active they're, they are on this case. And, you know, if, and when the case is solved and the reward goes out, 25% will go to a victim's fund. And then the other will be split in, in a way, you know, in, in the community Well done. in a way that, uh, you know, further incentive incentivizes them to continue the work that they're doing. Um, but, you know, to also give to the victims' families Perfect. as well. Well done. Kudos. Very, very smart. Told you. Community, village, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. equality. See, like, know, that's my whole vibe. <laughs> no, yeah, we're going to want you back. I got two other questions. Okay. Just before. Uh, we got other timelines here. Amateur sleuths. Mm-hmm. Are there a lot of them? More than you think. That's that's what I'm asking. I want yeah. it, it just caught my attention you know, with all that you're doing. Yeah, there very there's various levels. I would call myself an amateur amateur sleuth. Okay. Samir would call me a crazy psychotic amateur sleuth. sleuth. But um uh there's if I don't know if you've ever seen um there's a series called uh uh Don't F with Cats. And if you ever want to learn about amateur sleuths. Okay. Watch that. Don't watch um, uh, it's a. It's basically they're everywhere. It's like my, you know, but there there's varying levels. So I'll hear about a case and then I'll go on. I'll say, and this is part of why we're creating access because there's no one place for you to go. You go to Facebook and there's 35 groups for any case that's popular. Or you're like, wait, what happened to that murder down the street? How come it hasn't been solved? And there's no one talking about it. And so, you know, it's kind of hard, but um, it's, you know, anybody from somebody who works at the phone company to your next door neighbor to whatever, to me sitting here is like anybody who gets interested in a case. um, There's an organization that... uh, that connects homeless people with family members and they just have a Google spreadsheet of like, here's a picture of this homeless person. This is the information that I've, we've gotten from them. We're trying to track down their family. Can you help us? And then you go on, you say, okay, I'm going to take line 35. And then you just go and you look up, go on ancestry.com or you look wherever, you know, Spokio or like any of the the sites that are, you know, public information and you go and you look for it and then you know homeless people are being reunited with family members that's, that's, been that's missing terrific. them for for well, ages well aren't, aren't there's hundreds of thousands of people that just evaporate they yeah. just they just go they're missing 
So I'd like to have you back. Would, okay. you, would you come back sometime? Yeah. We, we, we love it. Like it, I said, I love it, it was, talking. Well, I'm like, so. No, no, no. It's it's very informative. It's entertaining. It's powerful. Thank I thank you. you. I thank you. This has been a, a blast. Lot. I had no idea what to expect. I was like, guess I'm going to the beach today. Well, no, there's there's so much to talk about here from mental health all the way to to uh, the technologies that the company the, that you're going to be running. The, I want to yeah. follow up on that. Thank I want to follow up in a big way on that. And then and last question, your biggest dream. What is your biggest dream right now? Continue to be happy. Cool. That's just, and yeah. what, what has to happen? What has to happen? There's a follow-up question. There's mm -hmm. always a question. What has to happen in order to you to continue to be happy? Continue. Um, honestly, financial freedom. All right, cool. And so that's, I will, I will end with this little nugget is uh, whoever said money doesn't buy happiness has never stressed about money. <laughs> That's correct. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's not like the money is not going to make me happy. Yes. It'll just allow me more freedom. More to, freedom. Yeah. Less anxiety. Mm -hmm. More. I think everybody should have financial freedom. It's there, so there's, there's, there's no question about it. You know, so we're, we're about a holistic human being, you know, about yeah. their health, their wealth, their wisdom, their business. And you're hitting all of those. So we want you back. It's been a blast. Great. You're, you're, not, a, you're not a shy person. And I can learn. We're going to learn more here. Thank you. Thank I you. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right. Until next time, have fun doing what you do and appreciate those around you and always be with love, joy, and peace. See you soon. Catch it on Cadre.